0: Welcome to the Gut Podcast. I'm Mary McLean, Senior Lecturer and Consultant in Gastroenterology at the University of Aberdeen, Scotland, UK. And in my capacity as Education Editor, I'm hosting this podcast today. This month, we're discussing the February 2016 Editor's Choice Manuscript entitled, "Dysbiotic Gut Microbiota Causes Transmissible Crohn's Disease Like Ileitis, Independent of Failure and Antimicrobial Defence. This is presented by Professor Dirk Heller and team from the Technical University of Munich in Freising in Germany, and he's the Chair of Nutrition and Immunology there. So I'm delighted to be joined today by Professor Heller. Welcome to the podcast. Your paper focuses on the pathogenic influence of gut microbiota on inflammatory bowel disease. So as an introduction, can you remind us of the existing evidence that implicates the gut microbiota in the development of IBD?
1: Uh, yeah, so there, I think there are two lines of evidence. One, it's uh, clinical evidence that uh, many people basically um, measure differences based on sequencing analysis um, between patients, inflamed and non-inflamed. Uh, that's usually just uh, associative, so that we don't really know of whether these changes in microbial communities is cause or consequence of inflammation. And it's rather difficult in in prospective cohort studies in IBD, actually see of whether these changes are first and then followed by the disease development. So I think we are heavily depending on on model systems which are reliable uh, for the human pathology. And this is part of what we did in this study.
0: So you assessed the impact of microbial host interactions in the pathogenesis of Crohn's ileitis and used a mouse model to unravel the details of this. So tell us about this murine model and why it was chosen for your study.
1: So there are many murine models for chronic inflammatory pathologies which mimic the human pathology. Um, Unfortunately there are not many mouse models which reflect the ileal phenotype of Crohn's disease. So it's a Less than 10% of the total number of mouse models available. So we chose that also for the reason that for those Crohn's disease like mouse models, there is no or there was no evidence, clear evidence, that under germ free conditions uh, disease is not developed. So we aimed to basically show that first that we generated uh, those TNF delta mice under germ free conditions. To show that we actually do not see any pathology anymore, to make sure that also in this mouse model, bacteria play an important role in the pathogenesis.
0: So, you used the TNF-Delta-ARE mouse model. Um, can you tell us how that's generated and what disease phenotype they show?
1: Yeah. So, these mice were generated by a Greek group uh, uh, around uh, George Kolias almost 15 years back, and, and they developed this very striking um Crohn's disease phenotype with a with a local inflammation in the gut but also uh systemic inflammation like uh, patients have this uh, sometimes uh, with arthritis so it is a, it's a genetic model where where the TNF transcript once it is uh, induced is stabilized and basically accumulates then in the cell and TNF is a very important and very clinically relevant um, cytokine in the IBD pathogenesis. So it makes a lot of sense. So in this mouse model, the TNF transcript is stabilized once it's activated, and and then basically inflammation could develop.
0: So you touched on this earlier, but can you just give us a, a, a broader outline of the experimental conditions you used to investigate the relationship between the microbiota and disease activity in these mice?
1: Yeah. So uh, the the clear hallmark for us was two findings. One, if we keep mice under a very uh, hygienic controlled environment, we see um, pretty much a, a strong or wide stretch of disease intensity or activity. So we have mice which are heavily inflamed, and we have mice which are almost disease-free, and that's independent of litter effects or cage effects. So we wondered why why would that happen, and when we Sequence the microbiota from these diseased, non-diseased mice. We see clear differences. So that's the association which one sees in patients as well. So the second, and really the hallmark for us, was that we that we uh, generated transfer experiments. So we took microbiota from the diseased mice and transplanted them back into the germ-free recipient mice, and we transplanted basically microbiota from diseased and the non-diseased mice, and we could clearly see that, that the microbiota coming from the diseased mice is much more aggressive in, again, the susceptible, genetically susceptible mice. So that means that under an inflammatory condition, the microbiota changes and develops a much more aggressive, and we call this then dysbiosis, much more dysbiotic microbial environment, which is uh, then causing the disease. So this is really the first time that, that in, in this ileitis phenotype a causality for dysbiotic microbial community was shown.
0: So you identified that the development of this ileitis was microbiota dependent, but what bacterial species did you identify in the conventional house mice and what changes did you observe when they were transferred to either specific pathogen-free or germ-free conditions?
1: Well the problem is when you do the 16S based analysis uh, at some point the resolution of the taxonomic level is uh, basically uh, limited so at the end we were we were clearly able to describe changes in the overall community structure but for example we identified uh, species within the Hungatella but both on on the non inflamed and the inflamed mice so actually what we kind of concluded is that the aggressive phenotype could be really below the species level and might be really um, mediated at the strain level. And that makes it very complicated when you look into the data of patient studies, where usually the deepest level is species you can, you can rely on. Sometimes it's the family level. So it's very, in my, in my view, hard to draw firm conclusions uh, to the question, which actual bacteria are the aggressive ones. And that's the same thing in our mouse model as well. So at the moment, we're investing a lot in identifying these bacteria on the strain level. And maybe it's not even just one bacterial strain, but a consortium of different bacteria.
0: So exploring the mechanism of this, you identified that baseline disease severity is associated with loss of PANIS cell-derived antimicrobial defense. So, just for the listeners, just remind us about Paneth cells, what they do, and yes. the role in antimicrobial defence, and, and expand that for us.
1: Paneth cells are part of the epithelial lineage in the gut, and they are they're sitting at the base of the crypt, and they produce antimicrobial peptides. They also produce factors which maintain the stem cell homeostasis. It is believed, and I think there is there is good evidence that the Paneth cell let's say, activity is, is changed in Crohn's disease patients with, with an ileal phenotype. So that is exactly the same we, we observe in our mice as well. When we did the transfer experiments of an aggressive microbiota, however, we were able to follow the disease development in a kinetic fashion. And what we observed is that basically the activation of inflammatory signals comes much earlier than the, the failure of punnet cell activity. And, and that indicated to us, at least in our mouse model, that the failure of punnet cell activity is a consequence and not a cause of this murine phenotype.
0: So did the functional capabilities of the intestinal microbiota community change along with composition?
1: Well, that's a good question. We, we did metaproteome analysis and, and we saw changes at this functional level as well. Um, nevertheless, you always have to keep in mind when, when the composition changes, then, then the abundance usually of certain tucks are gonna change. So that may be just um, associative again with the change in functionality. So what really interests us now is, are there key functions of this aggressive complex microbiota which would be mechanistically linked to the onset of pathology, because that would be then, let's say, a a rationale to speculate which bacteria and which functions are causative uh, involved in this disease initiation. And that's very hard to study in patients, but you could... Uh, if, if there is a me- mechanistic evidence identified in in murine models, you could go back to patients and look at that.
0: So you mentioned a couple of times during the discussion that the development of ileitis is transmissible via gut microbial transplant and colonization. So if we can just focus on that for a little bit. And uh, can you tell us how you, once again, how you assessed this and, and what the key findings were?
1: Yeah. So this transmissible phenotype, uh, there is one important um, factor to it. When we transferred uh, inflammation-associated microbiota from a donor mouse, which was sick, into, again, a germ-free mouse, we have two findings. One, when we transfer the aggressive microbiota in, again, a TNF-Delta recipient mouse, we induce disease. But when we transfer this aggressive microbiota into a wild-type genotype, we do not induce disease. And that's very, very important because that means that we are not transferring pathogenic traits. And there are samples in the literature where people have uh, induced transmissible colitis, but they also induced colitis basically in the wild-type recipient host, which was later on very often basically identified as a transfer of a pathogenic trait. And that's not the case in our surrounding here, because it's very clean and it's absent of, of pathogens. So this really means that a change in microbial community induces disease, but only in the susceptible host. And that, again, goes to the heart, I think, of this hypothesis in IBD.
0: So how does this new data link to the evidence derived from human IBD?
1: As I said, I mean, there there are big cohort studies now undergo which basically try to sequence for example uh, treatment naive early onset uh, pediatric Crohn's disease um, patients because the assumption is the longer lo- you live with with your disease the the more screwed up your microbiota at the end is and many confounders like medication would basically impact on your microbiota so at the moment the search for this causative initializing microbial setup is ongoing but still, it's very hard to get patients where you basically start from zero, where where they would not have disease but just just develop disease. And that would be possible in prospect cohort studies. But that's, again, due to the lower incidence of Crohn's disease, you would, would have to have a, a huge and large cohort to look at that. So this is where we are. We try to identify in murine systems, let's say, principles of, how aggressive bacteria could initialize disease, and if these principles would then be transferable to the to the human situation, I think we would benefit from that.
0: So, how could this data impact clinical practice in the future?
1: Well, that's always uh, the very very tricky question. I mean, at present, we really don't understand how a microbiota community structure has to look like to be aggressive in patients. And since we have really no understanding how that works, um, each and any single additional information to the, to the real basic and underlying mechanisms is, is very helpful. So we hope that we can understand the initialization process of microbiota and host in a susceptible host so that we can address this. And then at the end, we we would love to look into into patient cohorts to see if, if we find um, mechanisms which we identify murine models as well. So I would say it's an early step, and we shouldn't, from these murine models, over-interpret too much. But um, already this, the discussion around the punnet cell involvement, you see um, it's not so easy to, to kind of discriminate be- between cause and consequences. And I think that's the real benefit of of murine studies.
0: So leading on to that and finally what do you think needs to be addressed in future studies?
1: Well I mean I can I, I can tell you that we have a lot of effort at the moment ongoing to identify or to mimic an aggressive microbial ecosystem and if you can mimic an aggressive microbial ecosystem you potentially could mimic a non-aggressive or protective microbial ecosystem. So if I look at these you know, fecal transplantation trials, which are not really successful um, in controlled clinical trials in in IBD patients. You know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I think it's very important to identify disease uh, initiating minimal bacterial consortia and protective. And maybe we can at some point really identify protective consortia, which are then usable in in humans as well. This is far-fetched. But this is uh, certainly at the end the goal.
0: Well, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. I'd just like to thank Professor Dirk Haller for joining me today. Thank you very much.